Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to you, those of you online. Woodby Island, welcome. Anyways, we're going to receive the offering so if the ushers would get ready. <clears throat> so, like I said, Happy New Year. Every New Year's Eve, we have my family come over, and um, there's a bunch of boys involved in the family coming over, so there's a bunch of smoke and bombs and all that, well, legal bombs and things like that that go on. But we live in Hilo. So from where I live, we can stand and we can just see the sky just light up. And it's, I like it. You know, I'm always thinking, oh man, there's some rich people in here. There's bucks out there. But it's beautiful stuff. But you know, with all of that beauty, you know what I noticed on New Year's Eve? Is my grandkids were, they had lined up the road with all the things that are going on. And they weren't paying attention to all of this. They were just so intent on blowing this up. Because that's the best they had. And they had so much fun with it. And I think God looks at us the same way. You know, he, he looks at our heart when we're giving. We're giving our heart. We're giving our best. And he's not looking at everything around. It's kind of like the widow's might. In the book of Luke, um, Jesus mentions, he sees all these rich people coming and they're giving everything that they've got and they're announcing it and kind of like those big fireworks going off in the sky. But then the widow comes in with her little mites little like like pennies and she gives that and Jesus notices that and he recognizes that and as we give that's what we want to do we want to give with our heart we want to give God everything that we've got and we want to give out of love so let's bow our heads and let's pray Lord Jesus thank you so much what an opportunity what a pleasure it is to give to you so as we receive the tithes and offerings at this time Lord, would you please bless those who give? Not only that, would you take what we give, would you turn it around and would you use it so that it would be something spectacular within our city, within our state, and even within our nation, that your works would be seen and that people are drawn to you. We say this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. And as we enter into the new year, we're always thinking about what we could do, what we could do different. Well, let's take a look at some things that we didn't think about last year that maybe we could resolve to do different this year. I'd say amen to that. And that's what this series is all about. We're calling it All Things New because God does new things in our lives. And I'm so thankful that we can start off the new year together and start the year off with God himself. I'm so proud that you're here today. And for those of you who are joining us online, because what we're saying is, God, I want to begin the new year with you I don't want to just meander into the new year. I don't just want things to just happen. I want to be purposeful coming into this new year. And that's our mentality. Now, you may be thinking, no, I didn't come with that mentality. I came because she told me come. He told me come. My mom said come. My dad said. Well, God has an appointment with us today. He specifically made this time for us to spend together so that we can learn from him. So if you have your notes, you can take that out. Or if you use the app, that'll be great. And we're going to be talking about how God makes all things new. And at the same time, how we start the year off with God. Now, we can all start strong because when, God's make, when God makes all things new, it gives us an opportunity to have a good foundation so that we can build from there. And some of the commitments that we'll be making throughout the year, he'll be there with us. And he'll give us his spirit. He'll give us his power. He'll give us the wisdom to stand strong and to be the kinds of people that follow through with the commitments that we have made. And I know for many of us, we made New Year's resolutions. That's great. But we're going to be starting with God. So we're going to need God 
in order to accomplish some of those resolutions that we may have made. In fact, at the end of service, we're going to be receiving communion uh, together as a church. And I'll explain a little bit more uh, what communion is all about if you do not know yet. But we get to begin the new year with God and putting him first. It is often said that when your premise is wrong, everything thereafter will be in error because your foundation or your building block, your premise of whatever it is, is off. And when that's off, everything else doesn't have the chance to become or to be accurate. It's like golf. If you hit that ball wrong from the, from the contact of the ball, it doesn't matter how, how, how well you feel or how good of a swing you felt it was. It really depends on that initial contact with the ball because if it's just a, a half degree off from the very beginning, 100 yards down, it's going to be really off. So we want to make sure that the contact of our year, the first contact of, our, of the beginning of the year is with God so that everything else down the line, down the year, at least has a better chance of being more accurate, of, of having a, a better life, of living the life God promised us, that we would be able to accomplish infinitely more than we could possibly ever imagine or dream of, that God is able to do that in our lives. So starting off with God is a great way to start. And when we start off the new year in this context, with God being the foundation, then we have now a strong foundation for whatever he's going to build in this year. And just think about when we start off, when we start off the new year, we, we want to eat healthy, we want to, you know, stay away from certain things, we want to, you know, no carb diet, or we want to, we want to spend our finances better, we want to be wise stewards over what God gives to us. Like we make all of these decisions at the beginning of the year, not so that we fail, even though we may fail, we make these decisions in the beginning of the year because we want that as our foundation for the rest of the year. Some of us do a, we, we, we make a commitment or we have groups of people that we make commitments with to help us down the line so that we can be accountable, which is great. There's a, there's a, a rule or a law called the, the 1-101 principle. And it's committing to one thing for 100 days, one hour a day. So if you want a tip on how to kind of stay consistent, one thing, like if you're going to learn one thing new, stick to that one new thing for 100 days, one hour each day. If it's reading the Word of God, that's the one thing, then do it at least for 100 days consistently, one hour a day. Like you're carving out time for whatever it is you're going to learn. Which means if you're saying yes to one thing, you're going to have to say no to something else. So these commitments that we make, that we start off with God, it doesn't just, it's not just going to happen. We have to be purposeful in everything that we do. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the, to, to understand that, that uh, what was taking place and to really grasp what was happening, we would have to be there. Because in order to create all that we see, I mean, talk about power, talk about wisdom in how the planets are all aligned and how it functions and how our earth has been created. So uh, perfect in the distance from the sun, perfect in its rotation, perfect in the tilt of its axis. God created it perfectly. That's why our time is consistent because God created time 
perfectly. So everything rotates perfectly. You want to navigate during the night, you can use the stars if you know how to read the stars and navigate through the stars. Why? Because the stars are consistent. Why are the stars consistent? Because God created it to be consistent. So God has the power and the wisdom for us to be consistent in what we're going to be learning this year or what new things that he'll be doing. So don't be discouraged. Don't look at this year and think to yourself, boy, this is going to be impossible. Or, but my life isn't together. Our marriage isn't strong. My, my disciplines aren't that strong. Instead of looking at that, look to God. Seek him and say, God, you're consistent. You're strong. You have all the wisdom. So I'm going to look to you for the consistency of my life. And because of that, we get to draw closer to his spirit because we're going to make all these decisions based upon starting with God first, which is why we're here today. When Moses wrote this, Moses was a leader of God's people, and he needed to convince God's people that God existed. They were called the Israelites, and they're called the Israelites today. And there's a whole story, family line, and why they're called the Israelites. But when Moses was writing this to God's people, he could have started anywhere. He could have started with our families are a great family because God is a relationship. He could have started with God is love, therefore we should love one another. He could have started with anything, but he started with in the beginning. In other words, we have a beginning. God doesn't have a beginning. God has always existed, which is hard for us to even fathom that he always existed. And then we always say, well, who made God? Well, nobody made God. He always existed. And now we're stuck with, but who made him? It's God always existed. So in the beginning, what beginning? It's our beginning. In the beginning, God created. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What Moses was doing is he was letting us know as well as the people that he was convincing that there is a God. He was letting them know that everything started with God. Everything was because of God. Humanity, and when we came into the picture, is when things went bad. Because we had the freedom to choose. So we chose to rebel against God, and sin came into the world, which we all reap even to this day. That's why many things don't go well. That's why there are a lot of bad things that happen in the world. That's why there are things that happen around the world in different nations that uh, cause us to be, feel uneasy. It always comes back to the heart of a person because of our sinful nature. That's why humanity is the way it is. What Moses was trying to do is let them know that, yes, there is marriage and God designed marriage. This is how it works. This is who God is. But he was mostly referring to who God is as an eternal God. That in the beginning, God. Moses started with God because that's the premise and if we start with God, everything after that has a better chance of succeeding. And we have a better or more opportunities to see the possibilities. Moses started with God because that's the correct way to begin everything. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of our day, God. In the beginning, before we eat, we pray. Before we do certain things, we pray. Why? Because we want to include God in everything, in our finances, in our relationships, in, in our service. Before we come to our Sunday service, we pray a lot. Not just during the week, but we pray the morning of, 
We pray right before service. We pray before every service. We even pray before we begin. We pray. We have worship. We pray. Why? Because we want God included. It's easy for us to forget about God and go through the motions of the day. But we want to have certain things in place so that we continuously include God. So in the beginning of this year, let's start with God. Here's the first thing we can do. And let's do some practical things today to include God in everyday life activities. Now, I'm not talking about religion, not talking about being a religious person. I'm just talking about the simplicity of the fact that God is always with us, but we don't sometimes recognize that he's there. Because just because he's with us doesn't mean we're always with him. It's like we can be with our children physically, but we're not there mentally. We're not there emotionally. Have you ever had your children talking to you and you're on your phone and you just agree? And you're like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, nice. That's great. Good job. No, I'm letting you know I scratched your car by accident. Oh, good job. Well done. Like we're not even paying attention. Why? Because we're preoccupied. And we can be preoccupied even in the presence of God. So when we include God in everyday activities, we're constantly mindful of his presence. It's like our children. When they, you, know, you know when they say, mommy, 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 watch this. Mommy, watch this. And you're like, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay, mommy's busy. Daddy, daddy, watch this. Okay, I, I saw that 15 times. But I'll watch it again. Okay. Our children are trying to say, I'm mindful of your presence. That's why I'm saying, watch me, watch me. I want you to notice me. I want you to be mindful of me. Our children recognize our presence. And God says, become like children. That we constantly are saying to God, God, watch this. God, watch this. God, God, watch this. And God is always watching us. And sometimes we think of, wow, God is always watching me. So, man, I, I've done bad things. God is out to get me. No, no, no. God watches us because he is a loving father. He knows we're going to fail. He knows we're going to do things that are not consistent with his character. He knows that. But he still watches us. Why? Because he's that daddy. He loves watching his children. He loves watching us enjoy life, enjoy relationships. He even loves watching us worship him. He loves that. He loves when we step into his presence. That's why Moses, when he's writing the book of Genesis, and he continues to write the rest of the five first books of the Bible, he's letting us know and the people at that time know that it is all about the presence of God. And when God was taking them into the promised land, Moses wanted to make sure that the people understood, God understood, and he himself understood that it is always about the presence of God. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 16. Moses says, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people, talking about the nation of Israel. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And that may be a word for many of us today for this year. That it may look like things are chaotic and things are not okay. But in the presence of God, he's saying, no, I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Just don't forget about my presence. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us. Don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. 
I love how Moses, he makes that, that statement of, okay, God, just, just so that we're clear, we need your presence because that's what separates us from anybody else. It's your presence. We can do things that other nations do. We can do things that you're asking us to do. But if your presence is not with us, no sense we go. Because that's what differentiates our nation, us as a people. It's your presence. And as believers, that's what separates us from the ways of the world. Not to separate ourselves from other people. Otherwise, how do we reach out to people that don't know God? So God is not saying separate yourselves. He's saying you should look separate. In other words, we don't blend in with the world. He's saying if my presence is with you, that's what's going to show people that you are my people. Because it's, it's my presence in your life. That you're a different kind of people. You represent me in the world. If my presence is not with you, everything is different. I was in Los Angeles for a meeting, and I, I believe I was there for about four days, three or four days. And we finished the meeting early. And some of my friends, because they have like Disneyland passes, they said, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland. Do you want to go? And the moment they said that is, is I mean, I love Disneyland. So I love, I love going there. I love the concept of it. I love the vision of, of what Walt Disney was, was uh, producing. And I thought, I would love to go, but I don't have as much fun if Heidi is not there. Heidi is my wife. And so as I was contemplating, I was thinking, Heidi would understand. You know, I'm here. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm already there. My friends are going to go. So I'm not going to, I don't need to ask her. I'm just letting her know that, hey, my friends are going to go to Disneyland, so I'm going to go with them. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do, I, how do I tell her this? How do I say to my wife, Heidi, who loves going to Disneyland, that I'm going with my friends and you're not because she is here at home. And it's not my fault. It's not my fault that she didn't come with me on this trip. In fact, it was nobody's fault. It was just a meeting that is paid for for me to go to the meeting because I'm a part of Foursquare Missions International. Uh, the, the, we're called a um, team. <laughs> I forget the title of the thing. So it wasn't nobody's fault that Heidi's not there. So as I'm contemplating this, I'm thinking, but I wouldn't have fun. Even though that's my favorite place, I, I, I actually wouldn't have fun because Heidi is my Disneyland buddy. Yeah, she's my wife, but she's my Disneyland buddy. Like there are certain people that you're going to go to places with that makes it that much more enjoyable because that, that person makes the trip worthwhile. That person makes going to whatever it is worthwhile. It's, it's that person. It's that individual. That's the same way with God. When they were entering into their Disneyland, the promised land, their inheritance, Moses was saying, God, you're our, you're our friend. So even though we would enter into the promised land, even though your promise would come to pass, no sense us go because we wouldn't even enjoy it. Because you're not there. And I think, in fact, I don't, it's not even a thought. It's, it's proven that if we're believers and God's presence is not with us, we won't even enjoy being believers. 
because it'll turn into rules and laws rather than following his spirit. See, Moses wanted the nation to know that God's presence needs to be with us through everyday life activities. It'll be about his presence, not his principles or laws. It must be his presence. So invite God's presence into your everyday activities. The second thing is to practice those godly qualities. Now, how do you practice godly qualities? Well, if you think about any type of practice that you're doing, you know you're going, going to make mistakes with practice. If you're practicing uh, golf, you know that sometimes you're going to hit the ball wrong. Or, but, but during practice is when you are okay with making mistakes. You're not trying to make mistakes. You're just more okay with it. Like you have more grace with making mistakes during practice than you are during the real deal. If you're a coach, you have a little bit more grace when your team makes mistakes during practice. Why? Because that's when you're supposed to make the mistakes so that you can make the corrections. And so it is when we're practicing godly qualities, know that we're practicing this. We will only be perfected when we get to heaven. But for now, as we practice these godly qualities, be gracious with yourself. Be gracious with one another because you're practicing. Now, if you're competitive and you're practicing, eh, I cannot help you there because you'll be frustrated no matter what. If it's game time, if it's practice time, you'll just be frustrated. At the same time, when you're practicing godly qualities, if you're so hard on yourself, you're going to be frustrated. Like if you think you have to be perfect, you're already setting yourself up for failure because we can never live the perfect life. We're going to, from time to time, even though we may be practicing these godly qualities, we're going to fail from time to time. I went to, if you've ever been to Ice Palace on Oahu or ever went to an ice skating rink, uh, I don't know how to ice skate, but I remember rollerblading. Almost the same concept, just a little bit more different. So almost the same, just, just different. Like how you make rice and how somebody else makes rice. Same, but different. So I'm at Ice Palace, and I see this one guy just whipping it. And he's like cruising, coasting, he makes some turns and like, I'm like, wow, he's like touching the ice. And I'm thinking, I can do that. That looks, that looks pretty simple. So I'm watching him and I'm emulating him. So everything that he's doing, I'm trying to do. And I get some speed wobbles here and there. I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. So I'm watching him, I'm watching him. So I had to take a break because my ankles were burning. My legs, my thighs are burning. So I came on the side and I sat down a little bit. Heidi was there too. And Heidi said, hey, I was watching you. You doing okay? I said, yeah, I just... My legs are burning. I like literally, I can, like it's like fire. I can feel the, like it's burning. She goes, yeah, it's because that's, you, you're, you don't have the, the, the muscles for that. It's like, ex excuse me? Have you seen these legs? She goes, no, no, yeah, you don't, you don't have those muscles for what he's doing. I said, what, for what who's doing? I said, the guy you're trying to copy. I said, what guy? You're no guy I'm trying to copy. She goes, no, no. I, I'm, I know that you're trying to find the best person out here, and you're going to follow that person. I said, yeah, because I ain't going to follow that guy. That guy's like, oh, oh, I don't want to do that. And then the guy with the, the tricycle thing or the, the, you know, the, 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 the slider walker thingy, I'm not going to follow that guy. I want to follow the best of the best. She goes, yeah, but you're not good. 
like him. I said, I know, I know I'm not good. Thank you for reminding me, wonderful woman of God. I know I'm not as good as him, but I want to be. So after, you know, taking these hits and being discouraged, I went out there, so I asked this guy some questions. His name was Kaina. I said, I introduced myself. I said, hey, how are you doing? My name is Sheldon. What's your name? Kaina. How long have you been working here? Nine months. You've been here for nine months, and you're that good. He said, no, 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 I've been skating since I was intermediate school. I said, well, what are you, you're like 20-something. He says, yeah, I think it was like 25, 26. I said, intermediate school. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. So, oh, so about 13 years you've been skating. He goes, yeah. I said, oh. He goes, what about you? I was like, yeah, 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes, yeah. Not as good as you, but 10 minutes compared to 13. I kind of same, same. <laughs> so, so what encouraged me was that this man was skating for 13 years. And me, as a rookie, I don't know how long I've been doing that, not 13 years, helped me to be a little bit more gracious with myself. The person we emulate is not another human being. We emulate the best of the best. We follow Jesus. But Jesus is perfect. So we'll never meet that standard here on this side of eternity. But at least we have someone to look up to. At least we have someone to follow. At least we have someone built with perfection that has the grace for us when we slip and when we fall. We, we have a Savior that even tells us in his word that you're going to make mistakes. But he at least gives us some qualities to practice. It's found in Galatians chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. And it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says this, and this line should cause us to think. It says, against such things there is no law. And Paul the Apostle is saying this. He's teaching the church in Galatia how to live a godly life. And then he switches. He says, okay, now that we got that covered, I want you to understand this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we say we, if we, say we, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. In other words, he's saying keep your eye on Jesus Keep your eye on the qualities, the fruit of the Spirit, not on one another. We're not ending one another. We're not saying, but that person is better than me or that person is not as good as me. No, no, no. That's not where our eyes are on. Our eyes are on Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. These are the qualities the Bible is telling us to practice. Now, we have the freedom in Christ to practice these qualities. And because of the freedom in Christ, now that His Spirit dwells in us, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to live these, these qualities. Not, not, not perfection or, or looking at just the laws of God or the Ten Commandments and saying, how do, I, how do I follow that? It's by grace that we're saved, not by the things we do. Now, we practice these qualities because these, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's fruit that comes out of our lives as believers. So we're, we're saved from the law, yet we still have our flesh attached to us that still... It, that, that still kind of goes back to the law of am I doing good or am I doing bad? We, we still are pulled 
Because our flesh never gets saved. It's our spirit that does. And so now because we're saved by God's grace, as grateful believers, we now want to follow the attributes of God. We want to practice the fruit of the spirit because we have his spirit in us now. And when we live out these qualities, there's no need for the law because the law cannot produce what only the spirit can. Even though the law was there to show us that these, the, this is what sin looks like. If you don't do these things, that, that's what sin looks like. We, we needed something in order for, for us to know right and wrong, morality, godly principles. We needed that, but the law was never to produce what only the spirit can. That's why we need God's spirit. That's why Paul said, against such things, there is no law. There's no law that can combat the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. There's no law against it. And because of that, there's no law that can produce only what the Spirit can. Only the Spirit can produce these, these qualities. If we just try to follow the law, you can do that, but there's no love. There's no peace. There's no patience. You just go through the motions of it. That's called religion. But when we move by the Spirit, the qualities of the Spirit, then these qualities cannot be produced by our self-effort. It doesn't come from us, especially just trying to keep up with the law. It must be through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when we try, we keep trying and trying, we feel frustrated because we keep failing. Rather than saying, wait a minute, I need to follow your Spirit. I'm trying to follow just principles, but I need your Spirit Against such things, there is no law. It's, it's equivalent to saying that the fruit of the Spirit fully meets the demands of the law. That's what the fruit of the Spirit does. Some scholars would say that there is no law against such men or women who live out these qualities. That no law can touch lives as those who live out these qualities. That there is no laws which speak against people who live with these qualities. That's why if you listen to the world, they'll use these words, but there's no God involved in it. They're halfway there. Everybody wants peace, especially with what's happening in the Middle East. Everybody wants joy. Everyone wants love. So we have these qualities, but we need God included in it. Otherwise, we'll just be doing things that we think is love, that we think is peace. Most of the times, nations have truces. You don't bomb us, we don't bomb you. It's a truce, but there's no peace. The heart of man is still corrupt. So we need the Spirit of God. Against such laws, there is no thing against it. Against such, such laws. Against such things, there is no law. Because it's the Spirit of God. This is, this is who we are as God's people. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It gives us a, a kind of like a, a measurement of maturity. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only, partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, 
who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, there's a, there's a, there's a place that we should be. Maybe we're 10 minutes into Christianity. Maybe we're 13 years into it. But God is saying, here's, a, here's a, a place that you need to be. Here's a mark of maturity that by now you ought to be here. But I need to once again reteach the elementary principles, the elementary ways of how I do things. It's like God wants us to grow and mature. That's why when we start the year with God, we have the best and most efficient way of doing things because of who he is. We need his presence the author of Hebrews is basically saying after all these years, there should be a sign of maturity. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is there. We should be living out these attributes. And we should be including God in everything that we do, everyday, everyday activities and practice these godly qualities. With our, and, and, and practical things that we can do to practice is prayer. We can practice praying. It's talking with God. It's, it's communicating with God. It's, it's having conversation with God. It's having quiet time with God. It's bowing our heads and, and closing our eyes to focus on God. So there are, there are many ways to practice prayer. We also have ways of practicing even certain disciplines like being the church that we gather together on Sundays. It's a habit that we form as believers because we're the body of Christ. So we gather together and it's practicing. So you know, in, in, instead of saying, I, I got to go to church today... You say, I get to go to church today. I get to do these things. Why? Because I get to be a part of the body of Christ. It's a privilege. Not everybody is a part of the body of Christ. There are many non-believers that have yet to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. So they don't have the privilege of gathering together with the body of Christ. Everything changes when we as the body of Christ come together. Daily devotions, getting in the word of God. We got to practice that. I looked at some of my old devotions and I'm thinking, what? that doesn't even make sense. It sounds like I'm just writing like a, like a, like a diary. Not even praying to God. What, what is happening? But if I look at those early years, I needed those early years to get me to a place where I could hear God. But at that point, I was hearing him as best as I knew. So wherever you begin, just begin with God because that's your relationship with him. That's why Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, like that's a personal relationship. God is so personal that he says, I will go with you. I'm that personal. Memorizing scripture, it's a way to practice godly qualities. Just find one scripture. Start with John 13, 35. It's a good one. Go look that up. John 13, 35. It's a really good one. It just helps us to remember who we are in God. Do things that help with the character qualities of God. Daily devotions, prayer, journaling, serving. Many of you serve in the church. It's a great way to practice godly qualities. Because here's what happens when you serve, when you're, when you're part of what God is doing in, in the church in this, in this way. That you're with brothers and sisters who go through the same things that you go through. And you find good, strong support because you're serving alongside someone else. Now, along with serving, because we're family, comes disagreements. You're going to have disagreements. But you need that because you need to learn how to solve them together as the body of Christ. Because if we can learn how to solve things together in the body of Christ when relationships are important, then the world sees that, wait a minute, you guys, 
you guys fight, yet you figure things out together in the body of Christ. Yeah, because God built us for relationships. So we got to figure this out. Not just leave. we got to figure this out together. Because God is a relationship. So we practice these things. We're, we're all in rehearsal. This is rehearsal before we get to heaven. So it's okay. Be gracious with one another. Practice. Keep practicing it. We're going to mess up in relationships. We're going to hurt people. We're going to un- uh, without intention or unintentionally hurt people. We're going to say things. We're going to do things. And people will get hurt. But we got to make it right. Why? Because it's a part of practicing godly qualities. Now, you may not even know you hurt someone. But if you know you've been hurt, you go to that person. And majority of the time, they may not even know they hurt you. And I don't know how you're going to start the conversation, but I had someone come up to me and say, hey, I never see you a long time because of this. I'm like, man, seven years went by. You should have told me earlier. He said, yeah, I couldn't. I was hurt. The way you spoke to me, how you said that, I was hurt. I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't even know, which is even worse because I'm thinking, wow, I'm a mean person, so I better get better at how I speak to people. I got to be kind. But that's what it means to help one another, that we got to be there for each other and practice, practice. Some of you practice giving. I was just talking to someone today about when, when they were praying to God and then started tithing. That there needs to be some type of practice you're, you're practicing because it's a new habit that you're forming. So include God into everyday life activities. Practice godly qualities. And then the last thing, start fresh every single day. Every single day. I was going to ask a question for you to raise your hands, but I don't want to ask you to raise your hands just in case, just in case. And here's the question. Do not raise your hand. How many of you brush your teeth every single day in the morning? Right. We all do. We all do. I didn't want to ask for you to raise your hand just in case, just in case. But we start fresh every single day. We start fresh because we want our day to go well. Now, you may have fallen short yesterday. You may be thinking, wow, I fell short yesterday. If you ever fall short, like let's just say yesterday you fell short, stand tall today. Yesterday is done. Today is what we have. Today is what we got. If you fell short yesterday, just stand tall today. Proverbs 24 verse 16 tells us that the godly may trip up seven times but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to throw off the wicked. In other words, if we're living an ungodly life and we fail, it's like the end of the world. But if we're living a life for God, then when we trip up and fall, we're able to get back up. Sometimes we think living a godly life is not falling. No, living a godly life is falling but getting back up you, because we're going to fail. We see actors and athletes. We see celebrities who fail. They, they make poor decisions, horrible mistakes. And then they go through a, a season of getting back on their feet. They go through whether it's rehab or, or counseling. They, they figure ways out. And then it's like the next half of their life is so much greater than the first and they're a lot stronger. Some attribute it to God because they, they found faith in God. Or some just attribute it to decisions that they've made. There's this one man, his name is Robert, who took off in his acting career in the, in the 80s, uh, you know, last millennium. But with his fame and fortune came drugs 
and prison. And even though he was diagnosed with being bipolar, while going through all that he was going through, rehab, detox, which he escaped a couple times, a detox center, his, his rehab was the result of several drug and weapons arrests. But a judge sent him back into rehab. And one year after that, he skips a court-ordered drug test and spent the next four months in jail. Now, you fast forward his life 10 years later after this incident and after these moments, after falling and rising, falling and rising, and, and finding some steadiness free from drugs and the whole addiction scene, he's given an opportunity which changes everything for his life. He tries out a part in a movie that only the director believes in him, and everybody else is like, this is not the guy. This is definitely not the guy. You can't play this part. He's not going to match this part. But this director really believes in it. And after 10 years of this one actor acting in this movie, it becomes one of the most successful franchised movies. His name is Robert Downey Jr. We know him as Iron Man. Now, you take his life and, and you look at the moments where he fell and where he is today. If, if someone who, and he, he doesn't necessarily accredit it to God. Maybe he has faith in God, maybe not. But if, if someone is, is, is willing to do whatever it takes for the second half of their life, to do whatever possible to have a successful life. Not a, it's not about money. In fact, he doesn't even talk about money as the motivation. He just wanted to live a better life. If, if, if our motivation is, God, you have a life for me, and I want to live that life. Because we'll all have struggles. And as believers, we'll have struggles. As non-believers, we're going to have struggles. But here's the good news. That when we start with God, as believers, the Bible tells us in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, that through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That word morning means the end of night. Or it means of coming of daylight, of bright joy after night of distress. That's what the writer was writing. This is the prophet Jeremiah who understands what it means to weep, to, to cry, to go through mourning in the sense of despair and pain and suffering. I put the New Living Translation also because I, I love how it says it too. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Start fresh with God every single day. When God was creating in the book of Genesis, Moses writes in Genesis 1 verse 5, that God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And evening passed and morning came, making the first day. You know, with the Hebrews, which eventually became the Israelites, the Hebrews, which were God's people, this is who Moses was writing to, the Hebrews. And even till this day, the day for the Israelites does not begin in the morning like how we rise in the morning. Their day begins in the evening because that's how God created it. Evening and morning was the first day. So what God does is he gives us the evening, which means to grow dark. And that word, the root word of this word evening, to grow dark, means to exchange. 
like you're exchanging the dark, which is now ending the night, which is what morning means. It means the end of night, of coming of daylight, of bright joy after a night of distress. In other words, God is saying, I want to exchange your night of darkness, of mourning, of pain, of distress with my joy. And how we know of that pain may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God is saying, start fresh every single day. Include me in everyday life activities. Practice these godly qualities, but start fresh every single day. Because when you bring in what was yesterday into today of failures, you've already begun on failure. So whatever happened yesterday, in the evening, let that end. Let the darkness end. And then let's bring in the fresh new morning. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out the communion elements. That's what Jesus was saying when he was doing communion with the disciples. He was saying, this is a new covenant written in my name. This, this is a brand new day. I'm going to do something brand new. I'm going to do something fresh. So this is what I want you to practice, to continue practicing. Go ahead, ushers. You can pass out the elements. And because of this practice that you're going to be doing, always remember that it's a fresh new beginning. That I'm doing something new. Now, when you get the, the cup, hang on to them. We'll, we'll receive it together. Let me give you some basic instructions. And, and for those of you who are online, you can, you can still be with us. But you're going to peel the top first. Okay, peel the top. Peel the top first. Okay, some small instructions. And you're going to take out that little piece of bread. Okay. Now, everybody's going to do it differently, but this is what I do. <laughs> I take that bread and I hold it in this hand and then I peel the bottom. Or you can put, it on your, put the bread on your lap if you want to. You're going to peel the second part, which is where the juice is. By the way, this is not wine. Even though it may taste like wine, it is not wine. It is grape juice that has been in this container for a little bit. That's okay. So when Jesus was doing what we call communion today, he was saying, this is the new covenant written in my blood. He says, as often as you do this, remember me. Don't remember the, what you're doing with the elements. It's a part of it, but don't forget me in what I have done for you. That this is my body which has been broken for you. And he, what he's saying is, let me go through the pain and the suffering for the forgiveness of sin so that you'd be free from that, so that you can live out my promises, so that you can live by the Spirit. Because if you, if you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And against such things, there is no law. You take the bread together. Then he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, Jesus gave his life because he believed in what we know as relationship with him. He believed in it. He says, I will give you my life so that you can have one with me. And he shed his blood for us. Let's take the cup together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we conclude in prayer dispose of the cups right after. If you'll bow your heads for a moment, we'll pray. I would invite the worship team to come up.
Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so grateful for this new year. Thank you that we have this opportunity to not just receive communion together, but to begin this new year afresh with your spirit, that we include you in everyday activities. It would start with you every single day. It would start fresh. I pray for anyone here, Lord, that may not know you as Lord and Savior. And if you're here and you're saying, I want to start this year with God, but I don't know him yet. I want to know him. I want to receive him as my God. I want Jesus in my life as my personal Lord and Savior because I, I don't have the wisdom. I, don't, I tried everything, but everything seems to fail me. But from what I'm understanding, you said that God will never fail, that his compassions fail not, his mercies are new every single morning. And I want him in my life. If you're here today and you've never, you have never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. We're going to say a prayer, and all of us can say this prayer together. It's, it's once again a reminder for us, even as believers, that God is good. And as I say these words, you just include your heart and repeat after me. Here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. Forgive me of all of my sins. And wash me clean. I want to follow you. Your presence every day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time, I want to pray over you. Could you just lift a hand real briefly? You're just acknowledging I said that prayer. Okay, God bless you. God sees you. Okay, yeah, God sees you too. Anybody else? Yeah, you're starting the year with God. Okay, God bless. Yeah, God sees you. Okay. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray over these that said yes to you. I pray that as they begin the year with you, as they begin their relationship with you, that they will remember that it's a relationship, that you're so personal, that you love us that much, that you're willing to give us your one and only son to die for us so that we could have eternal life with you in heaven. We won't be perfect until we see you face to face, but until then, Lord, help us to practice every single day these godly qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want to represent you well. So we thank you for who you are. We stand on who you are, your word, your character, and this relationship that we have with you. Thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And we all said together, amen. Can we just welcome these that said yes to Jesus this morning? into the family of God. We welcome you.